The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. But let's start with that case of Dr. Nandipa Magudamana losing her leave to appeal her arrest in Tanzania. That judgment handed down by Judge Philip Laubscher in the Free State High Court in Bloemfontein today. Magudamana arguing that her arrest and her subsequent extradition from Tanzania to South Africa was done unlawfully. Have a listen. But in the Mahala and December cases, also quoted in my judgment, the then appellate division held that where a person voluntarily returned to South Africa, there was no infraction of South African or public international law. This is then also, there is then also no violation of such person's fundamental human rights. It was held in the Mahala case. These cases have not been overruled and they still stand. Having regard to all the submissions made on behalf of the applicant in the present application for leave, I am of the view that those submissions cannot be successful in light of the findings of fact made by this court in the application launched by the applicant. I am therefore not persuaded that another court would come to a different conclusion or that there are other compelling reasons why the matter should proceed on appeal. The following order is therefore made. The application for leave to appeal is dismissed with costs. The court will now adjourn. Judge Philip Laubscher in the Free State High Court handing down that judgment today. Dr. Nadipa Magudamana losing her leave to appeal her arrest in Tanzania. Oren Singh, EWN reporter, joining us to discuss this a bit more. So, Oren, just remind us, what exactly was this this application for leave to appeal? So, basically, Mandy, um, Nandipa Magudamana was arguing that she had not given consent uh, in the form of written consent to be uh, extradited from Tanzania back to South Africa. Um, But the state counter-argued that and said that, look, she had given us verbal consent saying that she wanted to come back and be with the kids. So Judge uh, Philip Loebscher, as you heard there, was kind of quoting or referring back to a number of case studies within um, um, case law and um, saying that, you know, throughout what he's been able to establish um, is that Nandipa Magdumana was brought back to the country lawfully. In terms of her options now going forward, Mandy, she has one of two options. She can either take this matter onto the Supreme Court of Appeal, and in order for her to do that, she has to petition to the to the President mm. of the Supreme Court of Appeal to have that matter heard there. Alternatively, she can go directly to the Constitutional Court. Both options are very taxing, very expensive on uh, on her part. So whether she's going to do that and whether she'll be successful is yet to be seen. So the long and the short of it is that she remains behind bars. She remains behind bars and she's currently at the Kroonstad uh, prison in the hospital wing. Um, and she was put there specifically, Department of Correctional Services, saying that she has been isolated. So number one, she doesn't have any communication with other inmates. And number two, she's a high-profile offender and so they can kind of keep tabs on her better in the hospital wing of that facility. Oh, interesting. Okay. Oren, thank you very much. Oren Singh, EWN reporter, giving us an update there on Dr. Nandipa Magudamana, who of course is the alleged main accomplice of the murder and rape convict Tabo Bester, who escaped from the Mangong Correctional Center last year. On 702 and Cape Talk, 
This is the Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Brought to you by NetBank Commercial Banking. Specialists who enable your business growth aspirations. Staying in the courts, the five men accused of being behind the 2014 murder of Senzo Miyua are currently pleading. The fresh trial getting underway today. It's the second attempt at the trial. Almost a decade after Miyua's death, Judge Rata Mokwatling has replaced the now suspended Judge Chifiwe Maomela. Let's have a listen, and the sound is courtesy of ENCA. <laughs> exhibit G. Noguti wonage umzimba wake umufi watolwage uyena u constable noma wamukelwa uyena u constable VM Mzini owa wamaphoyisa ase Force Lawrence wase uthathake uhambisela sonake isibhedlele sase Buthilong noma uhanjiselwa kusona isibhedlele ba uyena UTP Sentumule osebenzelake ezama forensic khona ejemistin ukuze ugcinwe khona lapho ke wabe usunikezwa ke nenamba ke abathi serial number EUDR207 October Okay, so that's the pleas being formally entered there. Nokokanya Mtambo, EWN reporter in court for us. Nokokanya, good afternoon to you. Uh, take us through what's happened so far this morning as that trial restarts. Good afternoon, Mandy. So just a start, stop, start, stop to the morning with proceedings only getting underway uh, just a little less than an hour ago when we kicked off with the indictment being read and, of course, the pleas of the five accused. So far, all five accused have pleaded not guilty to all of the charges that have been put before them, including the Schedule 6 offences of murder and premeditated murder. They also face the charges of uh, possession of illegal, the illegal possession of firearms, uh, as well as ammunition and robbery with aggravated circumstances. And the clip that you just played there uh, a, a few moments ago, Mandy, was the interpretation of the state prosecutor, George Maloy's, um, reading of the circumstances that led to Mayiwa's death and uh, just the way what happened uh, in those moments afterwards. And that's where we are at the moment, Mandy. Do you get a sense, Nokokanya, that anything is different this time around in terms of the indictment, in terms of the charges, in terms of, of just the general uh, context of this trial? So in terms of the context, there is certainly nothing uh, different, at least nothing that we expect is going to be different. Uh, and this was also admitted by the state prosecutor, George Ballot, yesterday, that they don't plan on changing and they haven't changed any of the charges that were put on the indictment. The only minor changes that were made yesterday uh, was just an issue of the, the date of birth of one of the accused and one other, uh, you know, inconsequential uh, matter that was that needed to be rectified. But other than that, uh, as far as we are 
understand, the charges will remain the same. The witnesses that will, will be led in court will remain the same. The evidence that will be led will also remain uh, the same. And so we don't expect any drastic changes as it stands, Mandy. Uh, pretty much uh, what we have seen should play out. And, and that's exactly why it was unsurprising even to hear all five accused plead not guilty today. Uh, because as far as we understand, nothing has changed other than who is presiding over the matter now, Mandy. Nokukanya, thank you very much. Uh, Nokukanya Mtambo, EWN reporter in court there as the Senzumiwa trial restarts today. As she's explained, all five of the accused have pleaded not guilty and the indictment being read out, the circumstances being read out, and then we'll get a witness. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be the same witnesses that we've heard before in the same order or not. This entire trial starting once again. The Midday Report. Also in the courts today in Durban, the former Etiquini mayor Zandile Gumede maintaining her innocence as she and her 20 co-accused are back in court for her fraud, corruption and racketeering case. Uh, this is all relating to a 2016 Durban solid waste tender. She's alleged to have used her power as the mayor to influence and bypass that tender process in the hiring of certain contractors. So that trial is now underway. ENCA's Dustin Tatia has sent us this voice note from Former Etegwini Mayor Zandide Gomede and 21 other co-accused are back at the Durban High Court for the resumption of a 320 million rand fraud trial. This relates to DSW tenders that were irregularly dished out from the Etegwini municipality while she was still mayor. Now, Sean Hitler, an employee of the city's Integrity and Investigations Unit, was the first witness to take the stand once more. This was a cross-examination that continued from March. In essence, the defense is trying to poke holes in the appointment of Integrity Forensic Solutions as the service provider that investigated a complaint that landed up with the CIIU, resulting in what would later become a criminal case and ultimately this trial. That complaint originated in the form of a bundle of documents that was dropped off with investigators. The defense claims that three other service providers or three service providers should have been contacted at the time, but instead the work was given to IFS. Hitler stated that the reason this was done was because IFS was already dealing with another matter which implicated one of the current accused. And beyond that, he said that the guidelines were not clear in terms of how often three service providers should be contacted. He claimed that his understanding was that the the work could be handed over to IFS and that's what was done. The state has continued to call other witnesses. Two of them so far have been administrative officers And they are going over the technical details of how tenders were handled and how they were signed off during that time. The matter is expected to continue for this session until August. I'm Desan Thathia, Senior Reporter at ENCA. Our thanks to Desan for sending us that sound wrapping up the Zandile Gumere trial that's currently underway. The Midday Report. Afternoon, Mandy. Uh, Winston from Johannesburg here. You know, um, I want to make an opinion with regards to the president 
uh, erecting or whatever that they're doing a new statue in Eastern Cape. For me, it doesn't make sense. Like, I do believe that statues are probably very expensive. The money probably is in the millions. Couldn't that money be used for something better? I mean, like, we've got a deteriorating infrastructure. I don't think even Malima would be impressed with these statues all over the shop. Yeah, just my two cent opinion there. Hello, Mandy. I'm just wondering how many statues of Nelson Mandela does this country need? We've got so many people hungry, starving. I think it's ridiculous. Afternoon, Mandy. It's Jawin Soweto. This, the time for statues is, is long past. This government needs to focus on the future. We need employment. Crime is very, very high. Those, are, those, those must be the priority for the government. We don't need these statues. For what? Are you going to eat statues? Are these statues going to protect us from, from these criminals? No, 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 no. That's absolutely wrong. We don't need any statues now. Please, this government must wake up. I would really like to hear an opposing view to this. If you are out there and you think that we should be putting up more statues of Nelson Mandela, we should be paying tribute to him and what he's done. Um, lots of reaction there to the fact that there uh, are two new statues being unveiled today in the Eastern Cape on Mandela Day. The President, Sir Ramaphosa, is there. One of the statues resembles Nelson Mandela as a statesman, the other as a traditionalist. The Nelson Mandela Museum revealing that it cost three million rand to design, develop, transport and install the statues. So that money would have come from the Nelson Mandela Museum. It's not like that money would uh, then actually go towards fighting crime or would go towards feeding people. Uh, it comes from the Nelson Mandela Museum. So uh, it is compartmentalized. It is siloed. But do you think it just is the wrong optics at this point? And I quoted uh, that quote from News 24 saying, people can't eat statues. How many more statues of Nelson Mandela do we need? The Midday Report. Hi, Mandy. This is Sidwela Tsuzumane. Mandy, um, I don't think it was wise for Dr. Magudiman to, you know, to be absolved, you know, to fight this thing while she is incarcerated, you know? Um, yeah, she's fighting to be absolved of all uh, wrongdoing and uh, for wrongful arrest. But, you know, she should have applied for leave like anybody else and fight these things, this thing from, you know, from outside prison. The Midday Report. The Deputy President, Paul Mashatile, having a very busy old day today because he is due in Soweto a bit later on today uh, to uh, lead the government's uh, um, Mandela Day uh, commemoration in Soweto. The President, as I mentioned, is in the Eastern Cape. But Paul Mashatile has also been at the ANC's three-day BRICS political parties dialogue that started today. Delegates discussing a range of issues, including the Russia-Ukraine conflict, um, that summit a precursor to the 15th BRICS Summit in Joburg next month. The big question, of course, is what's going to happen to Vladimir Putin? Uh, we do know that there, there have been comments already by the Deputy President that the government was trying to persuade Putin not to attend the BRICS Summit. Ndaedzo Netonje, EWN senior reporter, is there for us. Ndaedzo, good afternoon to you. Thanks for your time. What exactly is taking place at the summit today, the political party summit? Who's there? What do they discuss? How does it work? 
Yeah, good afternoon, Mandy. So you've got uh, 25 or so odd political parties from BRICS nations and BRICS-aligned nations. This would be nations that um, are more aligned to the thinking of uh, the BRICS bloc and some of them that want to be, uh, whose countries want to join uh, the BRICS bloc uh, ahead of the uh, heads of state summit. So this is an event of political parties. It's convened by the ruling ANC and it invites like-minded parties. Here in South Africa, you've got uh, a party like the PAC, for example, that is also part of uh, this event. You've got parties from uh, Namibia. You've got the Nigerian uh, parties from Nigeria with uh, the former president, Olisona Obasanjo, also here. And you've got former presidents. You've got Tabumbeki, you've got Halima Mutante, some dignitaries, I must say, that are in attendance. The long and short of what this event is about getting uh, the thinking of political parties aligned with their nations that want to be at BRICS or that are for BRICS. I mentioned the fact that the Deputy President Paul Mashatile had been there. He has made comments already about the fact that they're still trying to convince Putin not to come to South Africa in August. Any more discussed around that or any clarity around that at all? Yeah, well, as far as we know right now, um, what Paul was uh, saying was basically uh, if you listen to his post it was more to say we can't be told what we're going to do come uh, August but we will as BRICS nations decide and as political parties we are going to take your influence and your voices on, on around this matter he went on to even say that the idea that countries that are for BRICS should either be with China or the or, or America is something that should be dispelled. He says it's unfair for um, the U.S. to categorize BRICS bloc as anti-West. He said a lot around uh, the issues on uh, 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 the West versus the South and also issues around the Russia-Ukraine crisis. And I think uh, up until the last minute, um, and I can, I'm willing to bet my last cent on this one, we're not going to get a clearer picture on whether or not Putin will definitely attend the Heads of State Summit. And Dezo, I think many people would agree with you. I don't think anybody's going to be betting on that one. Um, because maybe you are going to be betting on that one. The fact that they are not going to tell us anything until the last minutes at all. And Dezo Netonje, EWN senior reporter, speaking to us there about this uh, political party summit that is taking place ahead of that 15th BRICS summit in Joburg next month. The Midday Report. Hi, Mandy. Mona from Randburg. Um, my opinion is that we do not need these statues. There are too many schools um, there where the children are subjected to using pit latrines, and that is unacceptable. So to bring in statues is actually a slap in the face of those learners who actually just want to go to the bathroom with dignity. Hello, Mandy. I'm just wondering how many statues of Nelson Mandela does this country need? We've got so many people hungry, starving. I think it's ridiculous. Hi, Mandy. I think um, they should put up more statues of Nelson Mandela. I don't think we have enough. Um, I mean, I'm looking around my house. I don't see a statue of Nelson Mandela here. Probably my neighbor hasn't got one. Um, I mean, if we're going for the goal of having Nelson Mandela statues all over the country, I think we should at least have one in every single household. So I think the president needs to step up his game. 
Touche, touche. Uh, look, I mean, we could do with one in the studio as well. Uh, ha- having said that, I think that we absolutely do need icons. I think we need a strong leadership that we need to aspire to. And we could do a lot to pay tribute to Nelson Mandela. But I completely understand the fact that we just don't need more statues. Um, maybe you disagree with me. Uh, and, and as I said, that three million rand that comes from the Nelson Mandela Museum is not going to necessarily go to towards alleviating uh, hunger. Um, it's not going to go to, to getting rid of pit latrines. But the fact that in, in 2023, almost 30 years into, into democracy, we still have children dying from falling into pit latrines in this country is, is inexcusable. And I don't think a statue is necessarily going to fix that. The Midday Report. Well, let's go to that breaking news story that you heard in Eyewitness News. The Gauteng High Court ordering that President Cyril Ramaphosa's affidavit relating to an arrest warrant for the Russian President Vladimir Putin be made public by 2 o'clock today. The DA went to court yesterday to compel Ramaphosa to share that document. Well, let's try and understand this with Lindsay Denklinger, EWN reporter. Lindsay, good afternoon to you. I appreciate that you, you've also just got this breaking news story and that you haven't seen the affidavit yet, but just Broadly, tell us what this means now. Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, essentially, the judgment that was handed down at 12 o'clock um, means that the president will have to share with not only the, the parties that are involved in this matter, will have to share that that affidavit, which was up until now been labeled confidential and was only shared with the DA's lawyers. And so in their uh, argument, prohibiting them from properly preparing for their case, which goes to court on Friday. Uh, And this judgment now means that this document will have to be uploaded to the court's electronic digital uh, system for all documents by 2 p.m. today to be shared. And then, as you know, Mandy, the consequence of that is that this then becomes a public document. The president had argued up until now that he could not share details related to the execution of an arrest warrant issued by the International Criminals Court because he was barred from doing so under his interpretation of the Rome Statute, which is the international law that governs the workings of the ICC. Uh, And so now the court also saying that the DA's matter, um, which goes to court on Friday, will be heard in an open court mandate and that the media will be allowed to cover those proceedings in that open court on Friday. Uh, Lindsay, again, you may not know the answer to this question because this news has just broken, but do do we have any kind of indication what could be contained? Could we get some kind of insight now about how the the government feels about the Rome Statute or whether or not there is an arrest warrant uh, locally? I mean, what could could come out of this potentially explosive affidavit? Well, over the weeks, we've seen varying people um, speaking in terms of uh, exactly what the status is of this arrest warrant and more importantly, how government will treat it uh, should it come to pass that it would uh, be compelled to execute it. What we know so far, I think it was just last week, the police minister in a written reply to parliament saying that there was no arrest warrant uh, in the hands of the SAPS uh, for um, the Russian president, and that this was a matter outside of their realm. They do not communicate with authorities on that level. Uh, we know the presidency spokesperson saying about two weeks ago or slightly more that it was now beyond the um, the stage where they were consulting legally as to how obliged or not they are to 
carry out this arrest warrant. Uh, and so um, perhaps we might learn later this afternoon exactly um, how government feels it should, mm. um, it should execute this warrant. And just incidentally, Mandy, just yesterday, uh, Justice Minister Ronald Lamola was at the UN in New York commemorating 25 years of the establishment of the International Criminal Court and very vocal about the fact that he didn't think or South African government doesn't think that this court treats all nations and all kinds of crimes equally and that it was putting the credibility of the court uh, into question. So um, hopefully we will find out later today exactly what government's thinking is about what it does about such a warrant. Lindsay, I appreciate you speaking to us at short notice. Thank you very much. Uh, Lindsay Dentinger, EWN reporter on the line there, explaining this decision, the Gauteng High Court, ordering that President Cyril Ramaphosa's affidavit relating to that arrest warrant for Vladimir Putin be made public by 2 o'clock this afternoon. The Midday Report. So yesterday we had the electricity minister apologising to the nation for the fact that we have such high levels of load shading, saying that it shouldn't be the norm. Uh, he also expressed some concern about what is going on at Kuburg and the delays at Kuburg as well, saying he was very, very worried that the Kuburg refurbishment had fallen behind schedule. But then we also had the surprise announcement yesterday that ESCOM and its former chief operating officer, Jan Oberholzer, would be parting ways by mutual agreement. Remember uh, he had retired and then he signed a two-year contract uh, to oversee key projects at coal-fired power stations, Kusile and the nuclear power plant, Kuburg as well. So the ESCOM spokesperson Daphne McQuenna sending out a voice note confirming this. Monday 17 July 2023 ESCOM and Mr. Jan Oberhorse part ways by mutual agreement. His last day with ESCOM will be 31st July 2023. Mr. Oberhorse was on a fixed-term contract to provide support to the Quebec Nuclear Power Station long-term operation and Kusile Power Station projects. ESCOM expresses gratitude to Mr. Jan Oberhorse for his dedicated service, expertise, and valuable contributions during his tenure. We wish him well in his future endeavours. So that's the ESCOM interim spokesperson, Daphne McQuenna, confirming Jan Oberholzer is leaving. Chris Yelland, energy analyst, joining us to give us some more analysis here. Chris, good afternoon to you. So there's a view that Jan Oberholzer uh, takes a huge amount of experience and knowledge away from the parastatal now as he leaves. Also another view, perhaps, that he was part of the Andre Dereta era um, and he should go. What are your thoughts on what this means? Well, I think it's true to say that Eskom is facing, I think, significantly increased risks um, as a result of his departure. Remember, Eskom doesn't have a full-time CEO at the moment. They have an acting CEO. And so um, the loss of the institutional memory, you might say, that Uber Holzer brings to the table, especially in respect of these critical projects. Um, uh, that is the Kusili uh, Unit 1, 2, and 3 return to service, uh, Madupi Unit number 4 return to service, Kusili uh, Unit number 5 and 6 commissioning, as well as uh, Kuburg Unit 1 and 2. These are major projects. And I think they took uh, him on as a, on a short-term contract because 
uh, they needed some kind of continuity, you know, after the loss of the CEO. Also, there's been a change in the head of Eskom generation. There's also been a change in the chief nuclear officer at Eskom. So all these changes uh, meant that they, would, they, they needed to keep him on. And uh, it, it, the fact that he's left indicates a very deep dispute. You know, they say by mutual agreement, but, you know, that's just the superficial wording. But underneath this... A euphemism, deep, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a pure euphemism. Uh, you know, when you have cut short a two-year contract and leave after, you know, one, two and a half months into a two-year contract, there are deep reasons uh, for this. Uh, and there, there, there are deep divisions uh, between the chairman of the board and Uberholzer and between a certain faction in the board uh, and Uberholzer. And I think Uberholzer said, listen, if you want me out, I'm out of here. So what does this mean now uh, for ESCOM and, and, and trying to get this load-shedding situation under control? Yeah, look, uh, the, 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 the return to service of Kusuli 1, 2, and 3, uh, and uh, Kuberg 1, 2, and 2, and um, Madupi Unit 4, and Kusuli Unit number 5, and 6 are absolutely critical uh, and, uh, you know, to reducing load shedding. In fact, we've been told that the load shedding is going to reduce at the end of this year because Kusuli 1, 2, and 3 are coming on, and because they're working on these big projects that I've mentioned. So they're very key to um, uh, to uh, reducing the impact of load shedding. Uh, and uh, I think the, the, the loss of Uberholz to this process. Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, it may mean that they're running late, and we've already seen now Kuberg is, is uh, running late. They've extended you know, the date of Kuberg Unit 1 coming back to service by a month. So it was supposed to come back in the middle of September. I've heard now that it's going to come back at the end of October. This adds a lot of risk to the whole of the Kuberg project because uh, now you don't have a nice overlap between uh, Unit 1 coming back on and Unit 2 going off. So if anything goes wrong, there's no buffer anymore. Mm. Chris, Mm. thank you very much. Chris Yelland, energy analyst, speaking to us there, uh, giving analysis about Jan Oberholzer, the former COO, leaving ESCOM. The Midday Report. On this Mandela Day, I've just seen a video of the president unveiling one of those new statues in the Eastern Cape. We've been asking the question, do we need more statues of Madiva? Nicola making the point on WhatsApp. Hi, Mandy. There are so few opportunities for artists at the moment. So I'm glad for the sculptor and the industries that won the work. And why not, Nelson? The Eastern Cape is an appropriate location. Look at public art in Botswana, Namibia, Zimbabwe, many more other African countries as well that commissioned statues from Korea for many more millions than three and failed to support local artists and the industry as well. So that's an opposing view. We've had lots of voice notes saying that we should not be spending money on statues. So keep those coming as well. And let me know what you're doing today on this Mandela Day. The Gauteng Department of Health today embarking on a massive surgical marathon as part of its continuous efforts to address surgery backlogs. Uh, Currently, the province has a backlog of over 18,000 patients awaiting surgical procedures uh, this year marking 10 years since the death of Nelson Mandela and they're commemorating it uh, today by working on this backlog. Uh, let's speak now to the Gauteng Health MEC, Nomanto Nkomo Ralehoko, who joins us to speak more about this. MEC, good afternoon to you. Thank you yes, for your ma'am. time. Uh, tell us about this surgery marathon. Explain that to me. We are having this surgical marathon indeed today 
And I've been trying to reach out to almost all the hospitals. As we speak, I'm in Tembisa because I wanted to check if they've started and they started on time. But all my teams are everywhere in the province because we are doing this because of the backlog that it comes from 2020, 2021, 2022. After that, we made a commitment that we are definitely going to make sure that we have this surgical clock and we did some preparations. Whilst we have been having other programs that we have been doing in terms of the surgical clock of dealing with it in the province. But now we said, let's go for aggressive one that will launch it in the Nelson Mandela Day. And after this, we will still continue with it. And I'm sure everybody can see that you will, if you can follow us on social media, you will see that 32 hospitals in the province are busy with the surgical backlog. But again, if you, ever, if you remember, there was a, a, a surgery that we did now in the district hospital, which is the Kimlangeni. So we're pushing even regional and district hospitals like your Subukeng hospital, your Petakoa district hospital, to have the, 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 some of these uh, surgeons that we have employed. Mm. And now they are working there directly in ensuring that when you want to do whether it's a knee replacement or a brain surgical procedure, you are you are able to go to Begim Langen or Smukeng and you will be assisted there. Okay. So it's quite an exciting thing because out of this aggressive thing that we are doing today, quite a number of procedures like your atroplasty that we are doing, hernia repair, maxillofacial surgery and others, especially the cataract one, which is it's more especially to the elderly people. I am in Tembisa Hospital now. I was watching them when they were taking some of the... So the first group is out, the other group is coming in. But every hospital, we said they must come in. How much are they going to do today, at least in the name of Baba Mandela? Because we need to use his name properly, doing good to our communities. And mm-hmm. the elders that I spoke to, they, they were saying, continue doing this because now... We've been waiting in the queues, but right. we've been called a number of us, and we're, we're happy that we're out of the surgery. MEC, it's, it's great to hear this, especially considering the backlogs and over 700 elective surgeries being done in 32 Gauteng hospitals. You're at Tembisa Hospital. We know that that is a, a site of maladministration and corruption and fraud. It's been well documented. So, uh, you know, when you speak about an event like this today, uh, it really goes to show what could be done with good management and if things run properly? Maladministration and the bad management in Tembisa Hospital is a thing of the past. We've changed it, the management that is there is working so well. We've cleared all the officials that were working there that were not supposed to be there who did all the wrongs. So we've put them, uh, we've suspended them. Now we continue servicing the citizens of Tembisa. I was telling them even today that they must, not, they must focus now. They must forget about the bad things, but they must not take Tembisa back to where it comes from. Because we have we had to use to clean Tembisa aggressively. So in the past eight months, I know I was not sleeping. I was staying in Tembisa literally because I wanted to put systems in place so that it doesn't go back. And now they are doing wonderful work. We are busy now sending the team infrastructure team to start renovating and painting Tembisa whilst we still need some more capacity because some of the wards are packed, especially the mental health ward. But we want to, to, to look around in the, in the hospital there and look for a space where we can extend that mental health ward so that all the patients can sit comfortably. So 
I was at the pharmacy. I was assisting there in terms of medication distribution. You no longer find the pharmacy packed. I say people must not stay more than an hour waiting to get their medication because they must go home. Mm. And those are the things that we've put in place in Tembisa in terms of queue management that right. it's working so well. And, and we're right. There are success stories now that we can talk about the hospitals besides Tembisa, including other hospitals mm. that I've visited this morning. Out of this, I'm going to Para. From Para, I'm going to Steve Miko, and I've been in Calafong. I'll check if I'm able to go to Dr. George, which is another big academic hospital that we want to change the face and make sure that it does what is expected of us to be doing of servicing the citizens, especially those hospitals that are amongst the communities, because communities right. are in need of the hospitals. MEC, mm. thank you very much for, for your time today. That's the Gauteng Health MEC, Nomanto Nkumbara Lahoko, uh, speaking to us from Tembisa Hospital today about that surgery marathon taking place across the province today on Nelson Mandela Day. Your thoughts on, on that? Uh, we know that that backlog needs to be addressed and what the MEC is saying about Tembisa a hospital, uh, particularly a day after the fact that Babita Deaka runs uh, killers, uh, that trial being postponed as well. So that's what's happening today on Nelson Mandela Day. We were hoping to speak to the Eastern Cape Department of Sports, Arts and Culture today about those two statues being unveiled of uh, Nelson Mandela today. That's currently underway. Lots of reaction to that on the WhatsApp line. Mandy, we do not need any additional reminders of Nelson Mandela. His face is on every banknote. The Midday Report. Tomorrow, the president will sign into law the South African Sign Language Bill during a ceremony at the Union Buildings. The National Assembly approved Section 6 of the Constitution last month, in May actually, and uh, he approved that uh, it be amended to include South African Sign Language as an official language to promote the rights of persons who are deaf and hard of hearing. And the recognition of the South African Sign Language as the 12th official language, an important step towards the realization of the rights of persons who are deaf or hard of hearing. Lance Schultz is the CEO of Pansalb, who is joining us to speak about this today. Lance, good afternoon to you. Thanks for your time today. Good to have you on. This new legislation, what does it seek to do? Firstly, a very good afternoon to you and your listeners, and a happy Mandela Day to you. Uh, I trust also that yourself and your listeners uh, are doing something uh, to promote the causes related to socioeconomic upliftment for uh, all of our people, particularly those that are more in need. So tomorrow I think heralds a very, very special day for us uh, because in effect, aside the fact that the president will be signing this into law, what it does also is it raises the status significantly of people that for so many years uh, really not being given equal access um, either to communication channels, uh, whether it be the provision of support when they needed to access this through our public service, or whether it be to education. So in effect, what this is going to do is it's now going to allow us to ensure that we standardize the language to make sure that it is uh, accessible and that it is understood because it's, it's got a, a wide range of lexicographical work that needs to be captured the other important thing also is that we'll ensure that the advances with the fourth industrial revolution, that this allows us opportunity to digitize and to make better access, particularly for those that would still want to learn South African sign language. And importantly is the benefit that it's going to give access to people with services information and also to allow increased consultation for, for deaf communities, people speaking this,
mm. um, because it impacts on their daily lives. So really a uh, very, very exciting day, I believe, tomorrow. Lance, on a very practical level, how will we see these changes in everyday life in South Africa? All right, that's a very good question because what we're going to have to do at the very onset is to ensure that we've got cross-sectoral policies so that when people need access to clinics, hospitals uh, and schools, that they get early learning opportunities with uh, South African Sign Language and that they get that type of exposure. So importantly is access in our public service that people are trained uh, and that we do provide an opportunity also for uh, deaf pupils that they've got access to, to curriculum development. The other important thing also is what we've experienced in South Africa is a lot of children in varied communities um, do not have parents or direct family members that are trained in sign. So we will be embarking on a program with our stakeholders to ensure that we increase the family members that need to get access to training in respect of sign. And that also goes to civil servants, but more particularly frontline workers because often the complaints that we get is that uh, people that are deaf were not able to communicate and as a result uh, it created all sorts of ills for them. Um, and the important point I want to state also is the ability for them to get quality information and services. This has been a lament for many years where they felt that they were deprived of uh, the rights that is enshrined in the Constitution as well as the Bill of Rights. So this will allow us to ensure that there's parity of esteem and that we give equal access to information to these persons also. Lance, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Lance Schultz, the PANSALB CEO. Uh, tomorrow, the president will sign into law the South African Sign Language Bill during that ceremony, which means that sign language will become the 12th official language. The Midday Report. That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener. The Midday Report.